to another episode of The Rise of Jim Carrey. I'm Dave. Tristan here as well. And we are so glad that you would join us for another episode. After so many episodes. Guys, the end is in sight. We are looking down the barrel. (laughs) But uh, before we get to that, we have to look at today's film, which is... (sighs) The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch. Uh, the Bad Batch is uh, a not, film. Not, not the new uh, Star Wars uh, animated series. Which I would have been all about. That would have been so amazing. No, it is uh, The Bad Batch. I have just realised that I have not done the By the Numbers. I, th- I think this one is a, a very hard one to do, By the Numbers. Yeah. Just because it was released on Netflix, I yeah. believe. So they're kind of notorious about their numbers. Yeah. Uh, which is is uh, a, a fascinating thing because it came from uh, filmmaker David Fincher, who all oh, right was it House of Cards was his first show on Netflix. Anyway, he did one of the the early original series on Netflix, and they kind of came to him after the first episode and were like, "Here is the viewership numbers. Here is when it started to dip down." And he turned to them and was like, "Don't tell creative people. Don't tell filmmakers." this level of detail of of what the audience are doing and kind of from that they are a little bit more tight-lipped about viewer numbers. Yeah, there's a really interesting episode of um, Smartless, I'm plugging another podcast here, with uh, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes of Will & Grace fame uh, where they talk to the CEO of Netflix whose name I have completely forgotten off the top of my head but it's really interesting when you listen to his point of view on that exact thing about like the relationship that they have and with their creative team and what that kind of conversation looks like, mm. what it looked like back with House of Cards and what it looks like now and the kind of content that they are creating. And I didn't realise that they try to get original content made from um, every country that they have subscribers in. Like, they have to hit over a certain amount of subscribers and then they'll start getting original content. That's why if you look at um, Netflix at the moment, there's a lot of, like, uh, Korean, Chinese, Taiwanese, uh, Iranian, Iraq, Iraqi, uh, Turkish, like, a lot of different cultures, like, being represented, which I think is wonderful. Like, and it's so interesting because you get exposed to so much uh, different sort of content. Well, the director, whose name is... Anna Lily Amapour. Because she... So my understanding is that she made a short film called Walking Home at Night. I think, I think it was a feature. A feature? Yeah. Um, which was incredibly well received. And sort of on that, she was like kind of given an opportunity to make this film. Um, I really want to see that film. Uh, and that's going to be something that I uh, that Dave does in his spare time <laughs> is, is find out about that film. Um, and I, I think it was that film that uh, kind of got Carrie to this project. I wouldn't be like that is exactly my thought with Carrie and Momoa and Reeves. I was always like, it has to be that first film that gets them here, because otherwise I don't understand yeah. what is the attraction about this film. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of interesting elements to this film that would have attracted them to the role. 
um, especially Jim Carrey and, and the role that he plays mm. in in his film. Jim Carrey plays a hermit, uh, has no lines, mm. um, and is only in a couple of scenes. So a, a very small part, if not a Uncre- cameo, uncredited. Yeah, as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, and just backtracking a, a little bit, uh, interesting uh, Netflix tidbit is. The uh, little poster that they used for this movie was a picture of Jim Carrey, his character in the film. Really? Yeah, yeah. But that, again, is the Netflix algorithm of, obviously, I've been watching a lot of Jim Carrey things. Wow. So they've picked the, the poster or the, the screen grab um, that would entice me most to watch the film. Because that, that, that's what they do. They, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They, they will kind of look at your viewing history and will choose a different kind of poster or image for that film depending on kind of the audience that you fit into. So that's interesting because the the picture that I had was of all of them working out. (laughs) What does that say about you, Well, I watch a lot of like The Fittest on Earth and stuff like that. And to look at me, you would not know. (laughs) It does not translate across. (laughs) Um, But that was really interesting. I did not know that they did that. That, that explains so much, yeah. actually, about the images that I'm given um, <laughs> when I think about Netflix shows. Yeah. Um, also, a good fun game of uh, if you ever go to, like, a hotel room that has uh, Netflix uh, logged in and someone hasn't logged out of their account is just messing with their algorithm. Ooh. Just watch weird, crazy things uh, and it'll pop up on there. <laughs> that sounds really fun. It's a fun game. I don't know where to start with this particular yeah. movie. I don't really think this the movie kind of not deserves, but kind of requires an elevator pitch. Unless you do, uh, let's just, let's just do a, a quick one to okay. kind of explain what the movie is. You get a bit. one floor <laughs> elevator pitch. This is all you, okay? Or was yeah. it you last time? I I don't know. Okay, was you this time? It, Ding. Okay, it's a. Uh, Sort of a post-apocalyptic uh, film where bad people are sent to uh, this this big desert area, which is outside the jurisdiction of US law, and they can do what they like. Uh, so we've got a couple of gangs trying to survive in this wasteland. Who's in it? Uh, Jim Carrey, maybe. Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> Ding, greenlit. Um, yeah, I think you. I think you summed it up perfectly. Like that's kind of all it is. It, um, it, it, it's almost like a, a post-apocalyptic fairy tale, yeah. if you will. I really want to. And I know normally I do my list of what I liked and what I didn't like and all this stuff. I just really would like to start off by hearing your opinion on this film. Yeah. Because I walked away from this film and I was like, I have no idea where Tristan is going to land on this. <laughs> because famously, listener, Tristan and I have had uh, difference in opinions on a couple of films. Uh, Aquaman. Yep. Being one of them, uh, the crimes of Grindelwald <laughs> and Greece, to name a few, and I walked away going, Tristan is either going to hate this film or he's going to love this film, and I cannot tell which one. <laughs> so where where did you land on this? Uh, neither of those things, Dave. I was disappointed in the fil- in this film. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It is a really intriguing premise and uh, uh, the the world building of of what uh, Amapur has done here is really, really intriguing, but doesn't really hit the mark for me. Like the first, the first 15 minutes is insane. 
It's it's insane, but kind of brilliant. Yeah. That's it. it it's a, it's a, a, a kind of a different take of what a post-apocalyptic world would be. But I'm like, that, I can see this happening. It's, it's cannibalism. The cannibalism was just very shocking when I kind of went into this film completely, completely blind. We um, went down a bit of a rabbit hole yeah. about one of the facts that I was always told about cannibalism is the re, like there is a like a toxin in human meat that if you eat enough of it it actually drives you crazy. Yeah. And and so my wife and I started so, sort of discussing that while watching the film because we had so much silence to fill. Yeah. And when we were like got to the point where we were like is that true or is that just something that they tell you so you don't try to eat human meat? <laughs> um, and that was something I kind of wish they had maybe explored yeah. in this film a little bit. But I feel like I, I, I agree, and I did not expect that reaction from you. I, I, I thought that you were going to come across me like, technically, it's, it's like great, but it lacked this. Story, story is what it lacks. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and pacing. It, 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 there's a few like really interesting moments and, and really interesting tidbits, mm. but the space between them is, is as vast as the desert that they're in, um, which, which makes it at times quite dull. I, I kind of want to talk, uh, I want to lean into acting. Yeah. Uh, something that I haven't been doing the last couple of episodes and I will apply, uh, apologize, apply for that. I will apologize uh, for that. Uh, I've been getting sidetracked. But this was a really interesting acting, um, almost exercise, this film and how everybody approached the, the, their acting in this film. One of the things that I did write is... So much of the job of the actor was already done because it was shot on location mm. in a desert in very extreme heat in very uncomfortable situations. So a lot of that work is done. Yeah. Then you... I have, a, I have a quite an issue with the main character yeah. and her performance... I, well, this was her first film. And you can tell. Yeah. You really, really can tell. I was like, for me, and this is and this purely is, my opinion. This is uh, Suki Waterhouse. I thought there were some moments where she was really great. Like that first 15 minutes where she's like discovering the land and, and then just like all that. I was like, that's actually really interesting. And I was like... What is going on with her? Where are we? Why is this happening? But as the film went on, I was like, I actually feel a little bit like you're out of your depth. Mm. And I feel a little bit like you don't know what you're playing because you don't know what you're doing. And I feel like she, and I could be completely wrong, she may have been in acting classes for years. I'm not sure. And I don't want to throw shade on her because I feel like what she did do she really swung yeah. for the fence. I just don't know what, if she knew what sport she was playing because there's so many scenes where I was like, and this is a game that my wife and I play with uh, the old, the original Spider-Man, whose name I cannot remember at all at this point. This is going to be a really interesting podcast, guys. Can't remember <laughs> anything. But it's like pick the emotion. Yeah. And a lot of the time... To Tobey Maguire? Tobey Maguire. You watch the first three Spider-Mans and you like play with Tobey Maguire pick the emotion at any given time and you can't do it. 
You're like, anger? Sadness? Happiness? Like, what is going on here? And I felt a bit like that with her, where there was like, when she comes back from being saved, from being with Jason Momoa, I'm jumping right to the end, and she's just kind of listlessly sitting on a chair outside, and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you angry? Are you Like, I had no idea what she was trying to do. And I don't know if she had the tools and if she and the director had the tools to have that conversation to give her an internal arc. Because I feel like if she had an internal arc, we would have had somewhere to go. Yeah. But because they didn't have those conversations or I'm assuming they didn't or maybe it just didn't read, I don't feel like she knew where her character was going. So she didn't know what she was playing. And I feel a little bit like they put her in the situation and they were like, what are you feeling? Or like, what yeah. are you thinking? Like just, and it's, and it's one of these dangers that you get with screen actors sometimes where it's like, if you feel it, it'll come, it'll be there. And it's like, but there is also technique to that. There is technique about knowing how high to turn up that gas. And I felt, again, my opinion that she didn't know what that nozzle did. So you got a very confused performance. When, I know you want to say something, but when you look at Jim Carrey, yeah. who that scene where he gives him the snow globe, that moment, there's this moment when like he looks at him and just like the real pain and sadness washes over his face and he hands him this thing and he really looks and it's like, he is trying to tell us something. In every moment that he is on screen, Jim Carrey is really, really trying to tell us something. And I feel, for me, I look at Jim Carrey and I go, why would he choose this role? Yeah. And I go, and if you look at where he is in his life at this time as well, that reinvention of self, that self-discovery, it's like, take away the voice. What, like, and that's the thing. You should be able to turn off any movie and know what's going on physically because yeah. the actor should tell you. And Jim Carrey, you could do that. And, and like when she gets saved by him at the start, my wife goes, where's Jim Carrey? And there's a shot where it just very quickly glances his face. I'm like, oh, he's the hobo. And, he, and she's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, I know my boy, all right? <laughs> I've watched that many of his films. But it's like his body, his physicality, everything. Like I'm like, he's trying to tell us this story of this guy. And I don't think a lot of people in this film did that because I don't think they knew what the story was. And I don't even think they knew what, like I said before, they don't know what sport they're playing. Yeah. And like Jason Momoa, he, look, I'll say it. He's incredibly good looking man. Yeah. I have no idea apart from wanting his daughter back, what he was doing in this film or what he wanted or where he was. Like, I couldn't tell you an objective of anyone in this film not even Keanu Reeves, who states his objective. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, I don't know what you want, though. Like, what do you actually want? And it's the first time I've seen... I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant, guys, and yeah, I really yeah, do apologize. But I'm, it's one of the times where I actually got to the end of the film and they're sitting there at the end. I'm jumping all over the place. And I turned to my wife and I said, I think the main character is actually an idiot. <laughs> but you... But... And I kind of was joking, but then I thought about it. I'm like, but it kind of, like, nothing she does in this whole film makes any sense. And you can say, yes, she's in a foreign environment. She doesn't know the rules, this, that, and the other. 
the amount of times that she is in comfort, which is a very safe place, that let's, let's really break it down, has given her food, water, shelter, money, and security, security, a prosthetic leg so she can still get around. It's given all this, all she wants to do is leave. Mm. All she wants to do is go out into the desert for no reason. And he even says to her at the end, why, like, there is nothing for you out here. Go back and be safe. And she's like, nah. And it's like, <laughs> why? But why though? And I was like, I just feel like this character is an idiot. And I don't, and I don't, and I don't know what she wanted at any point in this film. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the interesting thing about this film is it is very dialogue free. It, it is all about the subtext um, of, of what these characters are going through, and for for a, a film to be kind of this light on text, uh, the actors really need to to delve into that subtext to communicate the story that's going on. Uh, and there's only a few characters or a few actors that are doing that in this film, with with the exception of of Keanu Reeves' character, who is very dialogue heavy because that's his that's his character. That's how he survives in this wasteland. Which is interesting, being Keanu Reeves, who is famous for not having a lot of dialogue in movies. Yeah, which is very funny. But like nobody, none of the main characters spoke for the first 18 minutes of this film. None of them. Which I, I as, as a filmmaker, those types of films I love. If you can communicate a mm. story with no dialogue, I, I give such props to that and it makes a, a, a much more kind of compelling film and, and really amps up that tension because you're used to going to a cinema and having people talk and describe what's going on. But uh, th- this is a film for... Uh, especially that first 15 minutes, is they're, they're making you work for it um, in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's, there's some films that do it in a bad way. Um, that it's making you uh, uncomfortable because this is an uncomfortable environment and, and really making you kind of work to understand what's going on because that's, that's what our main character is doing, is, is she's been thrown into this wasteland not knowing what to expect so is is kind of piecing this together as we're piecing it together with her, um, and to do that without dialogue, I think is just um, really really interesting, and I, I love when films do that. Yeah, and I and I completely agree. Like I went into this, I was like, I, I have no idea. I do not. I'm going to go on record. I do not watch these types of movies. I do not watch gory suspense. I don't do it. It's not. It's not what I'm about. And I went into it in the first 15 minutes until she gets picked up and brought to comfort by the hermit. I think I call yeah. him the hobo, but it's the hermit. I went, this is an interesting film. Yeah. And as soon as it went five months later, it just went out the window. Yeah, the air came out of the tires. Because definitely. like, and, the, and, it, and it's great because it does raise so many questions and you do ask so many questions as well. It also like doesn't even attempt to answer any of your questions. Like if, like, and there's like very, very, very simple things that they could have done, like make her afraid of leaving comfort, but she has to mm. to get something. That's an interesting story arc. But instead, like, you know, she's gone in, had this traumatic experience of having her legs cut off, having to beat someone to death 
to get away, crawling through the desert, almost dying, the whole thing. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'll just go back out into the desert. Like, I don't really care. Distance in this film is perplexing. Yeah. She can walk somewhere in 20 minutes, but it takes them two days to drive back. Makes no sense. And everywhere seems to be the same kind of salt lake. Yeah. And it's just... And it's very obviously the same salt lake in uh, every single shot. It really, like, one of the things that I wrote is every, almost every single person in this film would die from exposure. That first 15 minutes, I was like, she would, like, when she's, like, on that skateboard and going, I was like, she's dead. Like, 100% she's dead. She, she is, you know, as a very white human, she's very white in a desert in the middle of the sun in, like, in the middle of summer. Like, this is crazy stuff. But there's a lot of stuff like that that doesn't, makes sense and doesn't even attempt to be answered. And I know what they, and I like, I feel like I know what they're doing as a director kind of going, no, I want the audience to sort of piece it together, but I don't think there's any pieces. Yeah. So. I, th- I think there is at the start, but mm. once we kind of get it, mm. um, it, it doesn't give much more. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's kind of these big kind of gaps between things that are interesting and things that are kind of pushing the story along. There seems to be, like, no real conflict between the two gangs, except for, like, the main character kind of kidnapped the daughter and he wants it back, but he doesn't rock up with all these meatheads. Yeah. He's like, hey, go get my daughter back. And she's like, okay. Even though the daughter is living very, very comfortably and seems very, very happy with Keanu Reeves and instead of goes back to the dad where it's forced to be a cannibal yeah this wasn't entirely clear to me maybe you can clear it up for me the woman that she shoots was his wife well, or the, the mother of this kid apparently both and like he's he's fairly okay with i think it's no consequence i think they're trying to make a comment on that like anybody in this world is expendable yeah yeah, yeah. the other thing that i really raised my eyebrows with everything else, is when they give the number for the Bad Batch. Yeah. You start off by getting a tattoo. Now, she's 50, 80, 50, 40. That means there's 5,040 people that have gone in there. Yeah. Sure, they're eating some, but there was probably, what, 20 people in this film? I was like, where are all the other thousands of people, you know? And I did like it randomly that like that guy turns up and saves her and puts her on the motorbike. Yeah. Like I thought that was cool. That was very video game, but just like you stumble across this thing, you're like, right, come with me, we're gonna go. And just this random good dude who like saved her, but like she also wanted to be there. Yeah. And she was like super into Jason Momoa. And I was like, I don't understand what she wants and I don't understand why she's doing it. And um, that was very hard. Yeah. It was very hard for me. This uh, did not get the tick of approval. One of the things that I did write is, and this is probably more a comment on kind of her acting. And I know it sounds like I'm, I'm leaning into her so much, but like she is the main character. She's in like every scene almost of this film and she's supposed to be carrying this film and we're supposed to go on her journey. Yeah. But every piece of intense acting in this film seemed really, really laboured. And it's why, for a while, I thought the director... Like, the, the dialogue is so clump, clunky that I thought the director was, like, had English as a second language. Because so... Like, for instance, 
you've got um, Rabisi walking down the street. Yeah. In my opinion, incredibly unutilized. Like great. It's Giovanni, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant actor, right? Being this, you know, crazy person doing all this stuff and saying, oh, the one thing, the one thing you've got to know, the one thing. And then she's like, what is the one thing? And, and like, they're just like really holding this thing and really intense. And he is like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, why is this so like, this doesn't, this doesn't read as natural conversation. Like yeah. nothing in this room, in this room, in this film reads as a natural conversation. And I feel like it's like actors trying to draw meaning out of a script that's not given them anything. And they're trying to piece the world together. Like, and that's really hard as an actor. Yeah. But you look at like Keanu Reeves, the way he hits the text and the way he set, delivers is so natural and so calm that you're like, okay, like this is somebody who's kind of going, this is what I'm doing. So this is what I'm going to do. I don't feel like anybody else who speaks in this film really was like, what am I trying to do? Like, what am I trying to say here? They were just like, I'm in this scene and this thing has happened and just I'm going to react on instinct. And I just kind of, I, I just kind of wish they'd been like, even just another draft. Yeah. Where they just like, but what is the point? Like, because like the way- there, there, might, there might not be a point. Yeah, maybe. Like, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's entirely clever. Yeah. It's and definitely not satisfying, but that also might be the point. Yeah. And that, and that might actually be it. The fact that like, this is chaos and it doesn't make sense. And, you know, because one of the things that I did say later after thinking about it and percolating a little bit, I was like, maybe the comment of the film is with the main character is that, you know, sh that she's in there for a reason. And just because you're put into this new environment and you have these new experiences doesn't mean that you're going to learn anything. Yeah. And it means that you're still probably going to be making really bad decisions. There's just some fundamental things about people that don't change. Yeah. And she does make unbelievably bad decisions in this whole film. I will say my, one of my favourite scenes in this movie, if I had actually my favourite scene, if I had to pick one, is the sketch scene with uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's just, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant because both of the actors play the truth of the scene. Yeah. It's lovely. He's like, I want you to sketch me. Does this stupid pose. <laughs> Jason Momoa draws it. Really frustrating because he's just trying to find his daughter. And that's it. Yeah. And it's just this great little... And like the stuff like that is what I loved about this film. Is like I love the really human stuff where you're like, yeah. oh, oh. But it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And him, him kind of painting this picture of his daughter mm. and them having this lovely moment and then him kind of stepping out to get some dinner. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a bit <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> but uh, should, we, should we talk about Jim Carrey in this? Because I, I think this yeah. is a super interesting choice for him um, and a very different choice for him and I think a very deliberate choice for him for this character and for this movie. Because uh, it's very interesting how um, the director got him into this film because she, she always had him for the role of the hermit and thought that uh, he, he would have some affinity to the, the role of the hermit. And uh, I, I think especially 
when we look at at the interviews he's kind of giving at this time and and um, his his view on celebrity, I think it really kind of ties into to all of of this this kind of later Jim Carrey career stuff, but he's still got his people behind him and there's, there's still this, this Hollywood machine that you have to play with. And the director did this really interesting thing where she wrote this entirely different character for him, this kind of comedic doctor that uh, lived in, in comfort um, to kind of get past his agents. So, because uh, like his agents aren't going to show him this script if there's no dialogue in there whatsoever. Um, but I think she knew that he, um, he, he'd find a lot of interest in that role of the hermit. Um, so kind of had this, this, this uh, fake doctor couple of scenes in the, in the script to, to kind of pique his interest and then was able to kind of sit down and talk with him. And, and of course, he wasn't interested in, in, in that comedic stuff, but again, was, was really interested in the, the hermit role and what he could bring to the hermit role. And does just such, such enormous work with only a little bit. And I think the same could be said when we had our chat about Kick-Ass 2, where yeah. he was only in the film for like seven minutes or something, mm. is, is um, he, he's... These, these films that we're looking at at the moment, he's no longer the leading man, but he's bringing so much depth and texture to the roles that he's doing. I would have 100%, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, watched a two-hour film about that hermit. Yeah. Just watching this play out from his point of view would have been fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like, just little things like when he's like, even just when he's like, like looking after Jason Momoa and he's sitting by the fire, like every single moment he's like thinking and adjusting, like, and there's just something going on under the surface. And that's what we want to yeah. see. Like the, from our actors in film, it's the unspoken. It's the stuff that's bubbling under the surface. That's it. And like with him, especially you take that voice away. He is still rubber faced and contorting his body. Like it doesn't even look like him. Like he's, yeah holding his jaw out, like curving his back to push his stomach out, like really taking on this like physicality, this quite grotesque physicality of somebody who's pushing a trolley through the desert all the time. And then like his eyes and his like face is just doing the work and it's just breathtaking to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't think we've seen too much of this from him um, is, is we definitely get that physicality from his uh, comedic work mm. and that's why we love him, that's why we love his movies. But it's so interesting to see him bring that Jim Carrey physicality to to these more dramatic roles. And I think we mentioned it um, many episodes ago when we, we I think it might have been talking about The Grinch and, and the work of Doug Jones who is uh, kind of this costume performer. He, he, he was a lot of the characters in Pan's Labyrinth. He, he was the monster in Shape of Water. Um, is is able to bring such kind of physicality to these these creatures, and I feel even strong strongly with with this film is um, Jim, Jim Carrey's kind of physicality. I think it would be very interesting for him to uh, in in a, a separate universe to to go down a very more dramatic version of his career with with roles like this, where he brings such interesting physicality. 
uh, to the role in terms of kind of communicating what is going on with his characters. Oh, absolutely. Like you even go back to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind mm. and the work that he did there and like you can see it. You can, you can see the choices. Like you can see that he, he was working through some stuff. Um, I don't know if it was personally or professionally. Like there is so much going on and like, you know, I 100% understand why he took this role yeah. at this point in his career. And I, to be honest, I'd probably do the same. Definitely, yeah. Because it's like you're so known for being this funny, wacky guy. Take it away and see what's left. And what's left is genius. Like he is somebody who is so talented that they can take a scene about two guys, one guy drawing another guy in dump basically and just by the way he sort of like lifts his shoulder and his head bring humor to it because he brings this like royal kind of like mm. i still want to look good in my picture sort of thing and it's just this brilliant humanity and that's what he does and if i think about all of his work he brings humanity to it mm. he brings like you look at dumb and dumber too right made it very clear, was not <laughs> a fan of that film yeah. at all. But there are definite moments of humanity where you kind of like, he lets you in on something. He lets you see something. And he's such a beautiful um, demonstration of being ugly. Now, one of the things that I teach and a lot of drama teachers teach is like, as an actor, you want to be ugly because if you're being pretty, we don't care. And that's my problem. I think I found a little bit with Jason Momoa and a little bit with Suki yep. in this film. There was a little bit of like, but I'm pretty though. And you go, yeah, but you're not bringing anything. Being pretty doesn't get me anywhere. With Jim Carrey, like literally is like a guy who lives on a trash heap pushing around trash. And that's the humanity that's the he's the person in this film that i go that's who i would be <laughs> like oh, that's who i would be that's yeah. who i would be in this film like you kind of want to be keanu reeves's character but you wouldn't you know and that's and that's such a power yeah and that's you know because when we were watching this i remember sitting there going why are we watching this this is not a jim carrey film yeah like what is this and it wasn't until we had this conversation right now that i'm like i know exactly why i watch this mm why this is important in his career and what this says. So in that way, I'm really glad I watched this film. Yeah. I would not recommend it. No, no, no. And let, I would, I'll tell you what I would recommend and, and you're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> going on YouTube and just finding Jim Carrey scenes mm. and just watching them because they are really interesting. If you, if you want to watch this and especially the bit where she takes acid Oh my god! Oh my god! I, yeah. Oh, that actually—it made me feel sick, and it made me angry because I was like, "I think you think this is really good, and it's not." Yeah, it's really bad. It's where where I I think it was that scene where the wheels just completely fell off this yeah. this cart for me. Yeah, like there was so many things. Have her trip, tripping out, and then have him just appear next to her and go, "Oh my god, she's in danger!" This beautiful moment becomes danger instead of having him like kind of moving in the background. Like, what are you doing? Anyway, but like I would just maybe go and watch Jim Carrey's scenes in this. If you want to sit through two hours of this, some people like, and I'm a bit like this, I like bad movies and I've been always quite open about that. 
Some people like to sort of almost punish themselves. Yeah. With bad movies, this is not that film. No, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say this is a bad film. I it would. I could would, be. It just could be a much better film. I got halfway through this film, and went. This is such a student film, really leaning like that. It really felt like somebody had learned all of these principles about filmmaking, about silence, about, you know, like all the things that we've talked about in this podcast. It's like, I'm going to make that film. And I was like, I feel like I made this film in uni, Mm. like legitimate, like made films where it's like, they don't say anything. They just look but it says everything with their look. And you're like, okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to play that, but I'm going to try. And that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And some of the choices I was like, cool. Some of it's beautifully shot. And the locations are beautifully shot, especially like comfort in that town. Yeah. And that it's beautifully shot. It just doesn't say anything. Yeah. And, that, and that's where I had issue. Yeah, no, I, I think I completely agree with you there. But mm. yeah, uh, as you said, it is beautifully shot really uh interesting how they they pieced together all the all the extras are uh, uh they filmed it near kind of a, a a community of people that live off the grid basically and they they make up the extras they basically came as themselves to this film which is is super interesting um but i i don't think it really translates at the end of the day mm. i do want that uh, bus, which is a giant uh, uh, boombox. Yeah, I want that thing so bad. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, crazy car. Yeah, it's our, our Jim Carrey crazy car tip. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you need to say about this? That's it. That's it. It's it's a it's a perplexing one, but mm. I think I've enjoyed being able to unpack this with you. Yeah. And now can move on. I have enjoyed this conversation so much more <laughs> than that film. I had to watch Parks and Rec after this film <laughs> to get it out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I actually had to watch this film twice just to make sure of, of what I watched. Yeah. That's why I messaged you like, we're not watching The Bad Batch, right? Yeah. Like, this is the right film. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode. If you have an opinion, we have some exciting news. We have a new page where you guys can find us. It's called The Rise on Facebook. We're at, at podcast.therise. If you type that into Facebook, you will find us on there. Um, this is going to kind of become our official home of news uh, where we're going to post all our episodes. We're also going to be on Twitter, but that's still underway. But please jump on there, follow us. And then, because what we're going to want to do is start posting up the movies that we're up to before we um, publish our episodes so you guys can listen and agree with us. But we also, we love, we truly, truly do love hearing from you guys, your thoughts and your feelings. So that's at podcast.therise on Facebook and you will find us there. What are we watching next? Oh, I'm, uh, I don't want to say excited for this one, but I think it's going to be interesting. It is uh, officially his worst rated film on Rotten Tomatoes with, I believe, 0%. Wow. Uh, it is a, a thriller called Dark Crimes. I feel like I'm going to be watching this one by myself. <laughs> um, I feel like the trust has gone at home, so this might be a Dave uh, Sunday afternoon watch. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. 
Uh, guys, thank you so much, Tristan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. And we'll see you. Uh, we'll talk to your wonderful selves later. <laughs> Bye. Catch you later.